you were wondering, Hagar in the middle of that horrific season where she's just running because of just being beat down, basically, she ascribes the name to God, El Roi. It's the God who sees me. I hope that you've encountered that part of God this morning. Something changes in us when we encounter the God who sees us. It's so powerful. You know, her situation didn't change, but she did. Hagar's situation didn't change, but, but she did. Because one encounter with El Roi, the God who sees you, can completely transform you. It's in that moment when, you, when you're seen that you're just like, you're enough. Oh God, you're enough. You're enough. I believe that God's people are entering into one of the best seasons that the church will ever see. I feel it in in my being. I think that the Lord is positioning the church in a place where we're seen, where we're where we're going to learn to encounter Jesus and steward intimacy with him. Personally and corporately but, you know, we're, we're coming to this time. It's just like, like this has just been stirring in me. Like the church, the, the body of Christ has to, has to have a returning. We have to have this encounter with the God who sees us. We have, to, we have to encounter Jesus and learn how to be in relationship with him. We have to learn how to be deeply connected to Jesus, not just when the worship is really good and the drums are really going. See, because when you learn to connect with Jesus, when you have an encounter with El Roi on Monday morning, and Wednesday afternoon, and Friday at lunch, there's something that's established in your heart because we were made to be in relationship with Jesus. And as we learn to steward that as the church, that will become our greatest gift and our greatest weapon. And I just want to let you know that the intimacy with God can never be taken away. No matter where you are, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens in our nation, intimacy and relationship with God can never be stolen. You can throw me in prison, but you can't take my relationship with Jesus away from me. You can outlaw my Bible, but you cannot take my personal, intimate connection with Jesus away from me. 
And so the church is going to have to learn to move to a place where we understand the heart of God and we understand how to connect with him and how to steward relationship where it becomes that nothing else will do. I believe that's what God is doing in his people. He's moving us to be so hungry that we say, nothing else will do. I, I just must have you. And as I move to that place of hunger and I create that connection with Jesus, then anything that's coming at me, that is protected. You go through the worst season of your life, your intimacy with God can still be there. Even when the future is unclear. See, I believe that God's wanting to mobilize his church. And he's getting us, he's getting us battle ready. Anybody facing some battles recently? That's okay because you've been equipped and empowered. See, God has designed his children for battle. And in fact, he's already made the way for victory. There is not a battle that you will face in your life that God doesn't have a way out for you and a personal strategy and a plan. I, I, this is like a Dave message. Like if you spend very much time with Dave, man, he wants, he's going to always talk about the plan. You know, like there is a plan. There is a strategy. God has it. What is our plan? What is God's plan? Let's make a plan, right? Isn't that our staff meetings? Amen. You got to have people like that in your life. This is the heart of God though. See, because God does have a plan for all the planners in the house. This is good news for you. God sees you. He knows that desire that comes from him. In fact, see you, you what? It just might not be your plan, but you can rest in the fact that God has a plan. Okay. That's a whole nother thing. You planners are going to have to deal with that on another personal level. That's not the message today. God always, God always makes a way for his people. He's always equipping us for victory. And when we spent some time with us as a staff at the beginning of the year, just, uh, just praying and seeking the Lord, that's, that's one of the things we came away with is like, you know, if, if God is mobilizing his people and he's equipped, we got to talk about this stuff. Cause you're like, that's awesome that I have weapons. What exactly are they? And how exactly do I use them? Right? Cause nobody signs up for the military and they don't just send them to combat the next day and say, good luck. Here's the artillery. Just go ahead and pick something out and try it. That is not the plan, right? That's not the battle plan. No, when you sign up for the military, you go through training and whatever weapon you are going to be using, it's fully explained to you and given to you with authority for you to use in the way it's supposed to be used. And see, God has already given us all kinds of weapons to use in our battles in, in, in heavenly places. Sometimes we just need to have the conversation about what they are and what that looks like. So we're going to spend some time over this year here and there, just kind of coming back to this and saying, Hey, this is a weapon. This is the way you fight. And you're going to find out that it's not really fighting like the world says 
In, in God's word, it says our weapons are not carnal because we're not fighting a flesh against humans. Right now, if you're fighting against people, you're tired because you're not supposed to be fighting against people. See, God's weapons aren't meant to be used against humans. They're spiritual weapons to be used in the spiritual realm. And see, we can start talking about spiritual warfare, right? And then people like start checking out. Because, because we, the church in the past has kind of made this about like this, this striving and it's a lot of hype, right? And it's all focused on the enemy and what the enemy is doing. But I believe that real spiritual warfare, if you read in your Bible, is about rest and identity and Jesus. It's focused on Jesus. When I'm focused on what Jesus is doing, my battle strategy is a little different than when I'm focused on what the enemy is doing. When you focus all of your attention on what the enemy is doing, you will move into fear. And then you move into emergency warfare, right? Like we start praying in tongues like it's an emergency. It's like your emergency prayer language. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are laughing because you're like, I've been there, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. You know, like, I'm just going to pray in the spirit. It's an emergency. I don't really feel like God ever is in, in that mode. He's never just like, Oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. Hurry, everyone, start praying in the spirit. That's the only way that you're ever going to get past this. Oh my gosh, that demon is so huge. That's never God's response, right? God is so much bigger than anything we face. And I believe that he wants to, to train his church on how to fight from a different place where it's not even on us. It's not on my ability to pray real good. It's not on my ability to even use the weapon. I need to be trained in it. But ultimately, it's resting in Jesus. I want to illustrate this <clears throat> with a story out of Exodus 17. I love this story, you guys. It's so cool. And I didn't put the Bible on the screen because, well, I don't always act like my generation, I guess. I don't know. I just forgot. So get out your Bible and read the paper. All right. This is Exodus 17. Uh, and... I'm going to start in verse 9. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men and go out to fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. Okay, so like there's this war breaking out and they're being attacked. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of the nearby hill. 
And as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on, and they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset, and as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. This story is so cool. Joshua was a very skilled warrior. Okay, he knew how to use his sword and he gets the instructions. I want you to go down and I want you to fight this battle. So he's just down there fighting his battle. But his victory is completely contingent on what's happening up on the hill behind him. See, no matter how fierce of a warrior he was, his victory was only happening when Moses had his arms up. When Moses started getting tired, Joshua started losing. That's got to be a little deflating as a warrior, you know, like the leader of the army. You're like, okay, this is not, this has nothing to do with me, zero. I mean, it does because I'm the one out here with the sword defeating people, but like, really, come on, Moses, lift up those arms. (laughs) You know, like, oh, we're being overtaken. Get the arms up, man, right? But I believe this is such a beautiful picture of spiritual warfare. See, it's not that we don't fight. It's not that we don't wield our weapons, but we do it in obedience to our commander, Jesus. And he has already gone to a hill and raised his arms out for us. He has held his arms up high. And defeated the enemy. See, he is the one. He has already won the victory. So we are now fighting from victory, not for victory. Because Jesus already did it. This is such a beautiful picture of Jesus, I believe, just Moses standing up and saying... This battle is going to be won because these arms are outstretched. And then thousands of years later, Jesus saying, the battle is going to be won because my arms are outstretched. Your battle is going to be won because Jesus' arms are outstretched. We still get to go down and do our part. We still fight. But there's a lot of rest that happens when you recognize that I'm joining with Jesus and the work he's already done. And this is not contingent on me, on my righteousness, on my ability, on anything that I'm doing. It's all on Jesus. It's my obedience 
to Jesus in going into the battle, but ultimately it's him. See, that brings a lot of rest when we start talking about spiritual warfare, when we start talking about using weapons in the spirit. When we recognize, hey, like this is so restful. The victory is not about me. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes we need to remember that the enemy has lost his power. We need to put him in his right place, and we, rem- we need to put ourselves in our right place. See, when we, wa- when we know who we are, when we understand that Jesus has paid for us, when we understand the work of the cross, and we rest in that, Something, something shifts in us. There is, there is a rest. I want to read this from Colossians 2. Three, uh, yeah, 2. I'm in 3 because I just naturally go to Colossians 3 because that's what I always preach out of. Let's go back one. Here we go. I was like, that is not what I was thinking. Listen to this. This is so good. Oh, Jesus, make this word come alive in us. Jesus canceled every legal violation we had on our record. And the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, he erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul, he deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. When Jesus went to the cross, he stripped away all of the authority and all of the power that the enemy has to accuse you. He made a public spectacle of the enemy on the day he died on the cross. When the enemy thought he was winning because he had finally defeated Jesus... It was like the plot twist. And it turns out that Jesus was making a public spectacle of the enemy. Stripping him of every power and authority he has. And taking it all back. And then he gave it to us, his people. He sends his people out in authority. It says, go, preach the good news all over the place. Cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. Do all the stuff. You have my full backing. You have my full authority. And the enemy has nothing. 
See, sometimes we need to, we need to just come back to the gospel. Do you understand? This is the gospel. This isn't like, this isn't like the gospel of like, oh, see, Jesus did everything and now you just can walk in victory and you just are going to have everything you've ever wanted. And there's not going to be anything that comes against you because you just say in the name of Jesus, by faith, I'm not receiving that, that I am not talking about that. I am talking about, we have to come back to the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus, that he would go to the cross and make a public spectacle of the enemy so that you didn't have to be accused. So that the enemy has nothing on you. This is good news. See, when we live as victims of sin and disease and depression and shame and worry, we're diluting the message of the gospel to the world around us. It is time. It is time for the church to rise up and come back to the good news and live our lives like it's really good. Not pretending, not just naming and claiming it with no fruit that's following. It's saying, I have been redeemed and rescued by a God who would go to the cross. An innocent man who would be brutally beaten beyond recognition. Who would take 39 lashes on his back and have his flesh peeled off his bones. For you. So that you didn't have to. So that the enemy had no power on you. So that you could have access to heaven. So that you could have access to the heart of God. Our Jesus. It says he endured the cross for the joy set before him. That he would even have a perspective that he could see beyond pain and betrayal and death and say, I will do it because I see the joy, because I see relationship with my sons and daughters, because I see an empowered church, because I see people being rescued. That's the good news. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to just have a mediocre life and a nice house and 2.5 kids and a good car and a successful job so that you can live in prosperity. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel of Jesus. I, I'm passionate today. Try not to yell at you. We have to return. have to come to this table and remember Jesus we have to we have to understand that his sacrifice is not just for the stuff in this life it's for what's going on in the spirits of people it's what's going on in the in the spirit realm above our city and our nation and the world The gospel is about God empowering his people to release his kingdom and make a difference everywhere, everywhere to the least of these, to the ends of the earth. This is the gospel. 
It's time for us to, to learn to activate our faith and live from a position of power and authority where we've been given. That the, see, the word says that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. If you read your Bible, you will find out that Jesus is sitting above every, every dark thing, every spirit, every principality. It says everything is under the feet of Jesus. And so if you're seated next to him, guess what's under your feet? Everything. Everything you face. God has a way out. He has weapons in his artillery for you. I don't even have any notes, you guys. I'm like, where are we? When we get a hold of the gospel like this... It's life-changing. When you allow the whole gospel to come alive in all of its fullness, you experience rest and peace and hope and joy and heaven, really. And the best way The best way to not live with a deluded gospel is to remember the sacrifice. It's to remember Jesus. It's to stay connected to him. You've been given a weapon in this table that we call communion. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples. for a Passover feast. He gathered them all around the table, knowing full well what lied ahead of him in the next hours. He knew that there was a betrayer at the table. And he gave thanks. That's a different weapon that I'll preach on a different day. He took the bread. And he gave thanks and he broke it. And he passed it out to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body that has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after dinner, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a symbol of the new blood covenant that I'm making with you and my people. Like... The disciples have no idea what's going on. And Jesus is like, hey, everything's changing. Your mind is about to be so blown. Like in three days, you're going to be like, Poof. just wait for like 53 days. Then it's going to be really. Poof. That's the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled them. 
but he's setting them up. Hey, drink of this cup. Do this in remembrance of me. In 1 Corinthians, if I can find it in my Bible, don't you love when First Corinthians 11. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story. Retelling the story of Jesus' sacrifice. Proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. Communion is a weapon. Jesus knew before he went to the cross that his people would need to remember. I don't know why we're so forgetful. You get a lot of stuff going, right? But this is like a command from Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. And by doing that, you're proclaiming the death of Jesus. You're retelling the story when you eat that cracker and drink that juice. It's not just about a cracker and a juice. It's about the remembrance. It's about the retelling of the story of Jesus dying on the cross for me, for you. It's powerful. I started, I started this year in a battle, really the end of last year all the way into this year. I was, I was facing some physical, uh, physical challenges in my body and I couldn't figure out what it was. I was having a lot of symptoms. I went to the ER one night. I had all these tests run had blood work done, like I'd been to the doctor, I'd been to the ER, I was having all of this stuff come against me, and and we just were like not being able to figure it out, and I wasn't operating at my full capacity. And that's kind of how I came into the new year, and I was just seeking the Lord. And when we were getting ready to fast, I had this like feeling that the Lord was asking me to fast coffee for 21 days. And my response was kind of like, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Because who in their right mind would ever ask a person to do such a crazy thing? Like, Lord, you know I have three children. You know I'm not a morning person. Like, that cannot be God, right? And then uh, I think like that first Sunday, Greg got up and shared for the offering and he gets out his little piece of paper he says the lord told me to give up coffee and then you said a lot of other really cool things but all i was hearing was like 
oh my gosh, you really ask people to do that. <laughs> and I said, okay, God, Jesus, I love you way more than coffee. Sometimes I, don't, sometimes I don't live like coffee is not the most important thing in my life. That's probably why he's like, hey, why don't you give that to me for a while? So the next day I said, okay. But I, I, I said, God, I need strategy from you. I will be obedient to whatever you say. I know that you have a plan. I know that it's not your will for me to live in pain. And I don't know how to get out. And we were talking about like, okay, like the next thing is you go see an allergist and then you can go see this and then you can, and, and I was starting to just be like consumed with like, okay, who do I need to go see? And I felt like the Lord said, no, listen, I don't just want you to give up coffee. This is your strategy. Like you just checked out after coffee. Now, listen, I have something for you. <laughs> come back, come back. I'm not done talking. I felt like he said, I want you to give up your coffee for 21 days and when you get up in the morning, instead of having a cup of coffee, I want you to take communion every day. And I was like, that's weird. I'd never done that. I've taken communion with John a few times with family. Um, this was like new to me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So the first morning I got up and I just, I, I made this declaration to the Lord, God, I love you more than coffee. And I'm going to take communion for 21 days. And at the, I, I will completely rest my mind from focusing on my body for 21 days. And at the end of 21 days, if I'm not completely healed, then I'm going to trust that you're going to show me where I need to go next. But I won't get in a tizzy. Like I will take 21 days because I'd already been, I knew it was nothing life-threatening, okay? Like my heart was checked out, all the things that, like I was having symptoms that was like, maybe I should do that so I don't die. Um, so I knew, that I, I, I knew that I was good. And so I, I felt at peace with saying, I'm going to take 21 days. And at the end of 21 days, if I'm still having all this mess go on, then I'm going to consult you and I'm going to believe that you're going to highlight who I'm supposed to go see about this. And so I started. I took communion Every day, every morning I got up and I would think about Jesus and his sacrifice. I would dwell on it. I, I did it extensively. It wasn't just like, thank you, Jesus, for your body. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. You know, it was like extended time with Jesus where I held that cracker in my hand and I thought about his sacrifice, where I read his word about who he is and who I am. And I began to think about everything that his sacrifice meant for me. And then I would take my cup and I would, I would pray for the blood of Jesus to cover me. I would thank Jesus that his word says that by his stripes I'm healed. That his blood canceled every assignment of the enemy against him. By the end I was taking my communion for some of you. I was beginning to plead the blood of Jesus over you. I was pleading the blood of Jesus over my children. I was praying for people by name who were struggling in their bodies. And just proclaiming God's death and resurrection over people. And it has become one of the richest times of my life. One weekend, I started having excruciating back pain. 
Not like you should go get a, a massage. It was like bone pain in my back. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep comfortably. I couldn't get up comfortably. Like everything was miserable. And that lasted about five days. And at that point, it was almost comical. But I just got up and I just took my communion and I said, God, I'm just going to think on this. Again, can I say this isn't magic? This isn't like, do this and you will have everything right in your life. I was activating my faith because God had given me a specific strategy. This was radical obedience for me. Who wants to give up coffee? Who wants to live in pain? Who wants to do this, you know? It was radical obedience of saying, God, I believe that you have something for me. Two weeks in, after five days of excruciating back pain, I got up one morning and I took my communion. I felt like the Lord wanted me to address a lie that I was believing. Oh, Jesus. I love living so exposed before groups of people. It's awesome. See, I realized in my communion time that I really believed that something bad was going to happen to me. See, I believed that I would die before my time. I don't know that I would have said that. It wasn't like that's in the forefront of my mind, like, hi, I'm Ashley, and I believe I'm going to die prematurely. But I'd never seen that lie manifest because I'd never had a health problem before. That belief had never come to the surface because I just haven't struggled with my body at all. And so when I started having all this crazy stuff, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. This is it. And there was that morning, and I, I, the Lord told me to write that lie down on a piece of paper, which is just as uncomfortable as saying it out loud to all of you right now. And I wrote those two things down on a piece of paper, and it was appalling to see that written in my own handwriting. I was appalled. And I held up my little cracker. And proclaimed the death of the Lord Jesus. Saying, I believe in your sacrifice for my wholeness. Forgive me for partnering with this lie. And I took my cracker and I took my juice and I repented. And I prayed the blood of Jesus over me and asked him for some truth. Took my, took my juice and I ripped up that piece of paper and I threw it in the trash. And then I walked up the stairs in pain to go get ready. 
And as I was putting on my makeup, the Spirit of the Lord fell on me in my bathroom. It was like the presence of God hit me. And I was like, that's cool. It felt really good. I was like, I I feel like I haven't felt God's presence like that in a little bit. And I didn't feel like God said anything to me. But from that moment on, I started feeling better and better and better. Just like every hour, every day, I just, my back pain was gone the next day. It was like, it was like a little twinge, but it was gone. Like two days later, no back pain. And for the rest of my 21 days, I continued to take my communion. I continued to declare the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I walked out of that place of pain. I walked out of a place of fear that I didn't even know I was in. See, communion is a weapon. It's not only to do corporately, although we should, it's so good. Communion can be a weapon for you. Now, what I am not saying, I am not saying if you're struggling, go home and take communion every day for 21 days and then it's all, you're going to have the same experience. See, part of what we have to learn is we have to understand the weapons that are available to us, but we have to be able to hear God tell us what to use and how. It's not, it's never a formula, but I'm sharing this story with you so that you understand the power of communion. Listen, it's not going to hurt for you to take communion every day. I have not stopped. I can't stop. I can't not do it. I've missed it a few times on a Saturday and my second day of the conference, it was too busy and all of these things, but, um, I, I just I just have to do it. And you know what I'm noticing? Oh man, I am so passionate about Jesus. We sing these songs and it like comes alive when we're singing about the cross and Jesus because I'm remembering him every day. I'm beginning my day coming into his presence saying, Jesus, I remember you. I remember your sacrifice. The whole reason I am here and doing my life the way I'm doing it, I'm remembering you. I'm remembering that you paid for all of it, for my pain, for my sickness, for my disease, for my shame, for my heaviness, fill in the blank, my worry, my fear. See, God stripped the enemy of all of his power. He made a public spectacle of him. And when I remember that, when I'm dwelling on that in Jesus, every morning, it changes the way you live. If you're struggling, consider taking a communion. If you're having an issue of pain in your body, consider coming to the Lord's table at your own table. It's a weapon. See, and like, why is it a weapon? Because you are saying in front of the enemy, Jesus died for my healing. You're proclaiming the Lord's death. You're reminding the enemy that he was made a public spectacle and has no power. When you come and you take your cracker and your juice, it's powerful. It's powerful. Remembering is powerful. 
It's a weapon. So put that in your, your thinking box. <laughs> Keep that on your grid. Some of you, the Lord is already messing with you and you know you're supposed to start taking communion. Others of you, this is going to come up in a few months and you're going to be like, oh, that's right, communion is a weapon. When you're praying for God and asking for your strategy, your way out. Communion is not the only weapon. It's just one. And it's one that I don't know that we've really taught. It's one that I don't know that I've shared with you to say, hey, this can be powerful. It's not just a weapon for these four walls. And so we want to say, hey, you're equipped with this weapon. In fact, you're going to leave equipped because I made you your own little communion stuff. So you can take your weapon on your way home. That way you can't get home and be like, oh, I need to go to the store for my juice. <laughs> oh, I don't have that. Now, listen, if you run out, like, you can use anything, right? It's, it's not about what the element is. It's about remembering Jesus. If you have orange juice and a slice of bread, remember Jesus and take it. <laughs> but everyone can, in the house can take one of these. We have them in the back for you. You got grape juice, you got some little mini cups, and you got some crackers. You just break those things. Do it, do it if you want to. Put it in your pantry, put your weapon away, and when Jesus tells you to get it out, get it out. You're leaving equipped today. And before we leave, we're going to celebrate at the table together. We're going to take communion together. We're going to remember the good news together. And we're going to proclaim the good news together over us as a family. So ushers, if you want to come forward. You can go ahead and pass it out.
you're watching online, go grab something out of your pantry in the fridge. Do this with us. You've got time while we're passing this out. Good. Thank you, Jesus. As you're waiting, you can just begin to think about Jesus. Just begin to think about his sacrifice. I want you to just take your bread. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was given for us. That you endured death. And not just death, but torture. You endured the cross for the joy that was set before you. Thank you, Jesus, that we are your joy. That you could look beyond your pain and suffering in your body to see us, your joy. Thank you, Lord, for the wholeness that we can experience because of your broken body. This morning, we remember. We come to this table and we remember Amen. You can eat that. And Jesus, 
as we hold our little cup of grape juice. <laughs> we recognize that it's so much more than that when we come to this table of remembrance. Thank you for your blood that was poured out for your people. Thank you, Jesus, that it's by your blood that we are healed. Thank you, Jesus, that as we remember you, the true gospel will come alive in our hearts and we'll remember that your blood is enough. It's enough for every single thing I face today. Your blood is enough for every situation I face today. I thank you that it's by your blood that I live empowered, that I walk in victory. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood covering this family. We plead the blood of Jesus over Living Way Church. We thank you, God, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And we will return as many times as we need to to this table, the simplicity and the power of this table, where we remember why we're even here and what we're even doing. We repent for diluting the gospel and the power of your blood. And today we return and we stare at our grape juice and are consumed by thankfulness for your blood that empowers us to encounter your love, to walk in authority, to walk in healing, to both receive and release it. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. This morning, we remember and we proclaim your death and your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask my leaders to come up. If you're in the house and you've never given your heart to Jesus, maybe you never heard the gospel and you like, uh, that's the Jesus that I want to be in relationship with. Our leaders are going to be up at the front. I encourage you to come and respond. They'll pray with you, teach you how to do that. If you need healing in your body, come on up and let our prayers, prayer team pray for you. If you need just somebody to agree with you, you're welcome to come on up. If not, you're free to go. Go be equipped with this weapon. Keep it in your pantry and in your thinking box. There's boxes back there on the back row. So just grab a communion and take that with you. And then you are set with a new weapon uh, in your belt. So you guys have a great week.